And we are live with another Roll High, Don't Die. Uh, tonight I have both Scott and Thomas from Seasons of Skyrim and Wild Endeavors. So do us a favor and go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Scott. I'm the host and DM for Seasons of Skyrim. We are a weekly D&D 5e podcast. Uh, you can catch us every Thursday. We are currently on the back end of our second book uh look forward to seeing how that all ends you can find us on twitter at skyrend podcast as i've noted in twitch chat i swear i'm gonna mess it up and say skyrim one of these days just out of habit. so <laughs> yell at me if i do first or second person to do that maybe <laughs> all right thomas what you got for us I'm Thomas Marsetti. I'm the DM and producer of the Wild Endeavors podcast. We are getting close to the final episode of what's been about a year-long Dungeon World campaign. Where we're going to start sharing the story from our 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Um, that's about a year and a half year. And uh, those two campaigns have been in the same world. And so we're going to have a, uh, do a few one-shots in there as well to kind of explore crossovers so we're having a lot of fun with that so Twitter. same world but different groups uh yes for the most part um the the dungeon world campaign kind of started as a a sidebar um there was a a particularly tough uh, combat encounter one of the characters kind of technically died but we weren't quite quite ready to be done with him yet so we spun him off to kind of see what happened after he was captured and almost died. And that was going to be a one shot that turned into about 28 sessions. So I feel like every time <laughs> I run a one shot and I'm like, okay, these guys will have some fun with these throwaway characters and that'll be the end of it. Like we end the game and everyone's like, okay, well, where does it go from here? And I'm like, well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've got other one shots next weekend and the weekend following, but uh, I mean, I guess I could find some time in there. Um, so it's, it's always, it feels good as a GM to just wing a one shot and have people being like, okay, well, so same time next week. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I've got all these notes ready to go. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> I, I shoved a bunch of stuff into this knowing that you guys would never have time to follow any of those plot hooks. So I got to throw them out there with absolutely no recourse whatsoever. Oh, okay. Now you guys want to go find that mysterious wizard to the North somewhere. I guess I should name him. <laughs> oh, names the bane of my existence. <laughs> Yeah, especially in uh, one-shots. I try to have a, a name list nearby, but very often I just find myself going, uh, crap, what was that character I played at the beginning of 3E? Okay, this guy's name is Caldris. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, I've actually had characters from one-shots that I've ran, though, go on to be like full-time characters, and so that always also gives me a warm fuzzy. Um I ran a one-shot about two years ago, and it was totally just a four-hour. There's no real story here, but let me teach some people who are new to D&D, &D, but also a couple of people who are new to Roll20 but have D&D &D experience. Like, it'll be a, a two-for-one tutorial session. So half the group will be learning Roll20, and the other half will be learning both Roll20 and 
Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, well, we we ran the four-hour little dungeon, and one character or one player loved their character so much that in a um, what was it, Storm King's Thunder campaign that my DM was about to start, they wanted to play that character. So I played through Storm King's Thunder in Group A, and they played through in Group B from the point of that uh, one-shot character. And then as we moved into Tomb of Annihilation, like I said, it was it was two groups. So I was in Group A, and the DM had replaced one of the big baddies in Tomb of Annihilation with this one-shot character because she had basically become evil once she got up to level 12 and did the ending of Storm King's Thunder. So it was super great for my level three <laughs> character in Tomb of Annihilation to run into this gnome that I had built just like, okay, here's a gnome wizard for a one-shot, here we go. And next thing I know, she's got the eye of Vecna and is basically screwing over my party. And it's like, oh my. <laughs> I totally don't regret building this character and making it such a like jerk <laughs> even before she went evil. Uh, That's excellent. Makes me feel a little bit better about always being the uh, the DM, so I don't have to run into my old characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the two of you, do you are you always the DMs for your respective games, or do, is there any rotation at all? Or I've well, been able for... to play. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead, Thomas. Uh, I was. I've been able to actually play in a couple of one shots that we've done for the podcast, as as some of the players have decided they wanted to try, um, or they had a couple stories. They so kind of go back to what you're talking about with having a character crossover. The first one that I, the first game that I played as a, a player about 15 years or so. Um, I used an NPC from the campaign where the Dungeon World campaign we're running right now. So I enjoyed like bringing that character in already fully formed. Like I had a, you know, a lot of ideas of what he would be like already because I had already played him, but just as an NPC. I've gotten to do just some kind of more goofy, more fun characters than the other ones we've done. Cool. Uh, for our show, I've pretty much always been the dm the only time i come close to being a player character is in between our seasons we play a mini game for our interlude to help get some like bigger world stuff backstory yeah. uh things going um i take on a couple characters for that one but that's just because they're the role of the gm in that mini game is so small that all i'd be doing is just sitting there asking questions well, everybody else got to actually play. <laughs> so uh, in terms of mini game, is it like a, a mini arc, but it's a full fledged game or is it not quite D and D like, is it defined mini game, I guess. It's a, it is kind of still D and D it's a mini game that we made just for the show. Um, it's called the glamor. It's this group of basically really rich and influential people out in the world that only come together to discuss like big events. Oh, there's a new resource discovered somewhere. Let's go try to get there first. Or uh, the city's in turmoil. If we plant somebody in there now, we can have influence over it in the long run. So there's this group of about five extremely rich, like Illuminati types, um, basically making big power plays behind the scene. And the roles are all in there just to find out who's plans are going to win 
And if there's any uh-huh. kind of uh, conflict in the group, they can have their personal bodyguards fight it out or they can just debate it out. Uh, it's really leans he- more heavily on the story aspect and the plot points. So that way, when we come back to our regular game, uh, we've got a bunch of new tools to play with. See, that's the thing that's always kind of interests me. Um, someone ran a game of The Quiet Year. Uh, have either of y'all ever played mm-hmm. that? Uh, I played, played it unfamiliar. Yeah, I've listened so, to it a couple of times. It's it's interesting because you don't play a character, and it was the first RPG where I had played that you. This was not you know your person that you navigated through the world in a in a first person kind of view. It's for those that that don't know you were all like almost gods over this small community and you draw cards from a deck mm-hmm. and you have to make choices like um, something good or something bad happens in the community. Um, there's a, <clears throat> sorry, coughing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's, it's really interesting because you build the world though. I thought I was going to die there. I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> glad that's on the recording now. We're, we're um, glad you didn't. But it's interesting because it's it's a world-building game, not a character-driven story. So you draw a card and you have to decide, okay, this resource is now uh, you know, in short supply or somebody is evicted from the community. Who is it and what's their reason? Those kind of things. And so I, I thought it would be an interesting kind of thing to run random games of that in between like actual D and D campaigns for like my homebrew setting to just mm. invent stuff to kind of, uh, affect the world behind the scenes to, to invent new towns and new reasons and new factions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a kind of was a little bit of the inspiration for doing our mini game as well. Just, I want to do something in between the seasons and, it also gave the players a chance to be a little bit more sinister than what they usually are and selfish. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice break for them too. I swear it's all those gruff voices I've been doing for my one shots. It's, it's killing me with the coughing. I have a very uh, uh, specific reading voice apparently that's got a lot of vocal fry into it. And we, we played a five hour one shot last night that was, what I thought was going to be a bunch of murder hobos stomping into a swamp to kill lizard folks. And instead it turned into three very small races, two halflings and a goblin, uh, starting a cult around a chicken that they stole from a farm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) While a grandpa tiefling druid and a, um, high elf in the terms of the devil's lettuce proceeded to wander through the, the swamp and, uh, Make new friends and then eat them. That's uh, fantastic. Standard D and D fair, really. Uh, yeah. we've, we've apparently created our own hashtag at this point because they named the chicken Lord Cluck Cluck, and so I've been getting <laughs> tagged in hashtag Lord Cluck uh, post on Twitter all day, and it was it was good times though. Uh, that's delightful. I like doing so... one shots where I I grab folks like yourselves. Uh, from Twitter and go, okay, I've got one person from Legends Die Live and, you know, the GM of Defenders of Kobold. And so very much like this, where I get GMs from different uh, games together to talk, I like giving forever GMs a chance to play. And so I'll run a one-shot and it'll just be 
you know, four GMs who are used to being the GM of their particular world and just give them a chance to to make a level five character and murder hobo or, you know, worship chickens or whatever they want to do. And it's always an interesting story because I have about a half dozen one shots ready to go and I'll just kind of get a vibe for what they want to do and go, okay, this group probably wants a dungeon crawl. I'll, I'll run my dungeon. And that's the thing I love about RPGs is I can take word for word, the exact same adventure and run it a month later. And it'll be two completely different stories. Like, the first time I run that adventure, there wasn't even chickens, and now there's a chicken-based religion. <laughs> yeah, of course. It all depends on how uh, out there the players are going to get. Um, open question to both of y'all. Is there any random NPC or thing like that in either of y'all's ongoing campaigns where it was totally supposed to be like a minor aspect, uh, a location that was just supposed to just be something off on the side, or an NPC that they were supposed to run into for like you know, five minutes and get the quest, but has now become like an integral part of the story or the, the party's uh, livelihood or that they keep going back to the same tavern as a base of operations, any of those kind of things in either Skyrim or Wild Endeavors? Yeah, actually. Um, this will be in a part that we uh, hadn't started recording in our, our fifth edition campaign, so it's not, we're not going to really spoil anything here, but um, they were... They ran into a blacksmith who was part of this secret organization who was just supposed to drop a couple hints for him, but they just kept badgering him and badgering him. And you know, I wanted to reward them for some of the ingenuity because it wasn't just like, let's beat this guy up until he tells us what's going on. And so he eventually like, had, like became much more important in the organization so that he knew more. Uh, kind of like the big bad for a significant portion of the campaign just because now he's you know he was so high up then and they they liked running into him periodically so well that's awesome we have actually had a couple one of them was a little bit more intentional when they left their starting city i wanted to have them to have like a Someone who could help him get around, who knew the area a little bit better. Uh, so that way everything wasn't brand new. And they ran into this merchant named Sam and his dog Sniffins. And he was really just supposed to be a means of conveyance, uh, a friendly voice. Um, but they really, really latched onto him. They thought of him as a friend. They loved having him around when they were doing city stuff. Uh, so eventually later on, they discovered that he's... Um, part of a custom race that we have in our world called Tamani, which um, if you could imagine like a werewolf or a were creature, except each of their forms are two separate beings. So when he goes into his animal form, he and the dog actually just merge together. Is the consciousness shared? Yes. Okay, That's so interesting. while they're while they're transformed, they still remember the actions. It's not like they transform and then yeah. they wake up like um uh what you call it the hulk and bruce banner like right their their uh their combined form is like their natural state so being separate is more of a special thing um so they've been traveling around with him for two years almost uh and then there was another npc they met a royalty guy from one of the southern cities uh real jerk of a character he's doing very bad things in his city 
these like forcing changelings to stay in one shape and use them as like clones of himself. Uh, very bad stuff, but they pissed off a guy. <laughs> yeah. But they ended up pissing off a god, and the god said, no, take him with you, keep him safe. So they begrudgingly accepted him and his suit of armor companion, just following him around everywhere. Until very recently, he was uh, kidnapped by some pirates, and the players are quite all right with that. <laughs> Convenient in the terms of plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so that brings up an interesting question. Uh, for the, the two podcasts, how, how often to homebrew are you? Clearly, uh, Skyrend has custom races, but other mm. otherwise, are you mostly by the books in terms of rules, or is there certain house rules that are just default for your your setting or your podcast? Is there like how how true to the book versus off in the weeds mm. are, are both the podcasts for anyone that's not listened yet? Uh, starting with Thomas. Right now, we're we're running mostly the the dungeon world stuff and that is I mean, the world is completely homebrewed the gods from uh, the forgotten realm setting because we started in you know fifth edition but right we we stuck to the rules as best we could mostly because we had never seen the system before we started playing it so i'm sure early on we were horrible about it but <laughs> We really didn't homebrew any of the rules until um, a couple sessions in, and that was just kind of a like a, one special ability. As far as like the locations and and lore and stuff like that, that's been just kind of building up um, more along the lines of with uh, our fifth edition campaign. Gotcha. Hmm. Uh, for us, as far as the rules go, we are mostly sticking with the book. Uh, we definitely have. Uh, a couple custom races, a bunch of custom magic items, the setting and the pantheon of the gods is all custom. Uh, so we're really just using the rules for the mechanics. Uh, we've made a couple of house rules here and there. Uh, like our bard is allowed to use their bardic inspiration on themselves, so long as they're on good terms with their loot. Uh, they have a sent <laughs> they managed to get a sentient loot. Uh, so as long as they're on good terms, you know, the loot will be basically casting it on them. Uh, just because it's it's more fun. There's only three players, and it's a nice little addition. Right. Uh, other than that, Absolutely. it's really just if it becomes necessary to bend a rule, we do. I, I'm very much a, a rule of cool kind of person. I don't completely disregard the rule book by any means, but if it's... If it's not going to be a benefit, especially for like one shots, I'm not super going to worry about encumbrance. I'm not going to make people count arrows. You know, a lot of those shorter kind of games, like if there is no benefit added to that thing, then I don't stress it too much. But if we were playing Tomb of Annihilation and we were heading out into the jungle and resources were part of the the feeling, then I am more inclined to include those things. But a, a lot of mine are more casual mostly because I just run so many one-shots. Uh, mm -hmm. But for my longer games, kind of in the same realm as as uh, you with Skyrend, um, I haven't I haven't homebrewed any races or gods from the ground up yet. 
um, but I do make little tweaks here and there and I'm not afraid of doing uh, little things like the last one shot that I ran I told everyone you know what I I welcome crazy class race combinations <laughs> you can take one of your ability score increases from your race and put it in any stat you want so if you want to make a, a half orc wizard you can take your plus two strength and bump it over into intelligence like let's see what we got and so I, I got more weird builds like halfling barbarians and stuff like that just because <laughs> even when people aren't trying to min max they still kind of lean that way just out of, of habit especially in a in a one-shot game you don't want to be a completely broken character that doesn't function just for the lulls right right um but you mentioned the custom pantheon is that something yeah. that you as the GM kind of wrote up or did you, you work with the players? Because I know that's that's always an interesting thing from me because I tend to be clerics a lot just because I love the class in uh, both 5e and 3.x. Um, but I always, I end up getting in homebrew games and I go, okay, well, what pantheon are we using? Like Forgotten Realms or like you got something custom? And the GM has something custom. They just haven't got around to figuring it out yet, if that makes sense. So I end up doing a lot of the legwork, too. Yeah, well, for us, uh, I basically built all the framework of it, like the skeleton of the Pantheon on my own. Uh, we've got 35 custom gods. There's one for every race, and then there's five others that are a little bit more broad, uh, covering things like death or earth or something like that um but when it comes down to how people specifically worship or um get their power from these gods kind of let that be more open to the players if that's actually important to their characters right uh, we've got a monk who worships death uh so a lot of it was just he and i talking you know what does this actually look like for someone in your order uh like is is it brutal? Is it more honorific? Is it calm? Um, you know, how does your God interact with you or your order on a daily basis? Things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because I think it helps them kind of have, fit their own character yeah. a little bit better. Have, they also have more buy-in kind of if, yeah. if they had to choose, you know, here's the list of 10 things pick on the list one through 10 and they look and go, okay, well eight fits me the most, I guess. But if they, if they can start with a framework and then fill in the gaps and, and own it, they, they, as a, a player and as a character get more invested into the, the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a helpful there. Um, especially after I took any of that, um, good or evil alignment away from the gods. <laughs> Some people don't want to worship an evil DM. They want something a little bit more neutral. And, you know, that That's always death... been an interesting point for me. And there's all kinds of fun conversations we could have about the alignment chart and stuff. That's another, <laughs> back to the, the homebrew or, or house rule thing. The first thing I do is basically throw out the alignment chart. Um, unless I'm dealing <laughs> with absolutely brand new people. Because, yeah... Alignment chart can help new people kind of understand, well, like, this is the kind of person you are. But mm. I feel like most of the time people sit there and go, 
they they make choices based on the fact that they are X instead of realizing that X is kind of a summary of their personality and choices so far. If you assume that your paladin will always do the right thing because he is a lawful good, then there's never a chance of your paladin falling or or you know changing themselves. And same thing for your chaotic neutral rogue. If you always make the chaotic neutral choice, then that person's never going to to grow, to become, you know, to respect the law more or to become more of the the good character like, you know, Mal from Firefly and become chaotic good instead of chaotic neutral. Like if you always make the choice based on what's written in one block, your character's not gonna change. You're going to be the same character at level fifteen. You're gonna make choices the same. Right. Yeah. I like using it as a good starting point. Like where's right. your character at the start of the adventure? Right. And then, you know, if you need to change that a little bit as you go, go ahead and do it. That's part of the leveling up process. Yeah. I remember the first time I was in a group uh, and the GM was like, okay, well, that choice you did just ticked you over into, uh, I think the person went from lawful neutral to like true neutral or true neutral to chaotic neutral. And they're like, Mm -hmm. wait, what? You're changing my alignment? And the GM's like, yeah, alignment is like I said, a, a summary of your choices and you're kind of being an asshole. So here's your new asshole <laughs> tag. <laughs> so uh, I don't know about all that. I mean, yeah, no, I'm just... the way NPCs interact with your characters. Yeah. If you're known to be an asshole. Yeah. People are going to treat you poorly. Uh, yeah. But... And, and that's what I'm saying. Like they didn't grab the character sheet and rechange it. They, you know, they just started treating mm. them like, an asshole and said okay well you know you're you're being this kind of character well that's not what it says on my sheet well yeah but <laughs> look at these three big yeah. choices that you had and look at how you responded to them so yeah. on yeah. the wild endeavor side though um the setting total homebrew uh did you as the gm write all of it was it a sandbox that the players had buy into where do you sit on on that side of things uh the setting began as completely just me and me you know creating the and really only at, at this point we really only created the one land and it's i mean it's about the size of russia so it's got some room to to move around in there uh then during character creation i kind of told like here are the cities that i've got established if you have something else in mind of where your character came from, but we'll figure it out and then I'll, we'll put that on the map somewhere that it makes sense. Um, about half the players came up with their own hometowns that we added into the, um, to the map at that point. And then just kind of as we've moved along, the, based on kind of like the types of things they want to do or the, the storylines that they're pursuing, uh, we're creating, you know, we're filling in more of the map as we go there. So even when they're not having a direct like naming a city or deciding what's ha- you know what is in that city i try to use their their decisions as much as possible right so to, to create those um the couple again the couple one shots that we've we've done um i've let the, those those players like whatever you want to do like you have a you have enough an idea of the framework we're working in as long as you don't like you know blow up half the continent <laughs> do whatever you need to do and Oopsie. and we'll go from there yeah. <laughs> Look, it so, was only one time, and there was still another <laughs> whole half of a continent they could have used. 
<laughs> well, exactly. See, I don't you know, making a big deal out of nothing. Um, it is <laughs> you know, to to hand over the reins like that. You know, it is kind of, you know, that world is kind of my baby, and just I want to like it's important to me that they have, like you were saying, that ownership and the agency to really feel like they're part of the world. So that's why it's really important for me to hand it over. But every time I do, I'm like, uh, just be careful and, uh, <laughs> you know, use the car seat and, um, I worked hard on this. Don't break it. Yeah. So another question, I guess, um, did, both of y'all start as a player and then swap over as a GM at some point in the hobby as a total, not specifically for your, for your campaigns or like, I guess I'm asking, how did you guys get started? Was it a, as a player for a little bit mm -hmm. and then taking up the GM role or were you the person where you and your friends got together and you drew the short straw or whatever it was. And from the get go, you've been a DM. Yeah, I started as a, player um this was back uh this would have been it wasn't high school for me so that was um it was probably almost about 18 years ago now and i uh, a friend's older brother wanted to run a game for us i don't know if he wanted to or he just did but then he didn't want to keep playing with a bunch of kids because you know he was too cool for that understandably girls started hanging out with him and <laughs> right exactly exactly so then it just that we wanted to keep playing and nobody else wanted to do it so that you know that was my step up for about a year and then i think just coming to like the end of summer and us getting back into you know extracurriculars and whatever we we kind of drifted apart T took about a 18 year hiatus and then this current group we were co-workers so having burritos at, at lunch one day and he started watching critical role and we started talking about D D. and i said well i could i could do something like that if you guys were interested so i put together a like a walking dead style adventure because they were we were all into walking dead at the time and they had a blast with it so they said let's try the dragons then and uh so and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, I guess my journey to being a DM is probably just about as long as and uh, confusing as Thomas's over there. Uh, my first foray was well over 20 years ago when it was just looking at um, books from, I want to say, AD&D uh, that my brother had in a box somewhere and then uh, my cousins did a one-shot one time when we were visiting. And then I didn't play again for years and years and years and years <laughs> uh, until 4.5 when I was playing with some work friends for a couple of years. Uh, going as a, I said it was a half-orc fighter. It was a ton of fun, but uh, stopped playing with them for the a little. Oh, yes, I hit everything. Uh, but as soon as 5th edition came out, um, I knew that's what I wanted to play. So I got together with some friends from high school and from college. Uh, and we just started kind of running the Fandelver thing that's in the, that comes with the starter kit. Yeah, I lost my and, own Fandelver. 
Yep. And after about two sessions, we were completely off track. <laughs> and we played a very different game for a couple of years until we decided to start up the podcast. I love point... how quickly those things can just kind of wander. But that's that's actually <laughs> kind of one of my favorite things about the 5e starter set is it puts you in a location and builds things in kind of a way where if you get three sessions into it and you're just kind of like, mine, what mine? And you wander you're in a great location and you can wander into any of the other pre-written modules pretty easily found over leaves and in, leads into princes of the apocalypse and storm king's thunder pretty well but you're also just in a generic fantasy setting with two big cities nearby and like several quest hubs and can just kind of migrate it's not one of the starter sets where you're isolated somewhere or solely in a dungeon but nothing exists outside the dungeon kind of stuff so yeah i've ran it about a half dozen times now and it's always interesting to see which groups like go all the way to the end and then go to something else or like get distracted Ooh, a piece of candy and next thing you know <laughs> they're in silvery moon or something mm -hmm. um my trip to being a dm was it was mostly just kind of getting forced into it, I guess, um, like you do. Uh, I started <laughs> keeping an eye on the hobby back as 2E was a thing, but I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, if you've watched the, the previous ones of these, I've told the story a couple of times now. But I grew up in the middle of nowhere. RPGs weren't really a thing. Nerds weren't really a thing because we were in the middle of the woods and it was cool to ride four-wheelers and shoot stuff. Um, but I was introduced to them danged Pokemon cards in middle school, uh, and Pokemon led to Magic the Gathering, and Magic the Gathering led to, like, wanting to read about strategy and more into the lore stuff, so I started visiting the Wizards of the Coast forums back before they turned those off, um, and on there, I started wandering about the forums, and I ran into not just the RPG areas, but, like, kind of freeform role-playing. And it just became something to do uh, after school while I was waiting on my mom because my mom worked at the school. So I had a choice, a 45-minute bus ride home or hang out on the Internet for, like, an hour until she got off work and then go home with her. And so I took the hour of free not my Internet, which was basically faster than the house's Internet. Um, and got, <laughs> got interested in role-playing and again, I was, I was D and D adjacent because I could read about it. <laughs> I just was not going to, as a broke kid, go buy $60 worth of books and then not have anyone to play with. So I got to read everyone else's stories and questions and stay interested in the hobby. Mm -hmm. But then I joined the military and in my second tech school, uh, so, sorry, my first tech school, there was somebody who had a bunch of 3.5 books with them. Or it was third edition and 3.5 was coming out at the time. So um, I got to play in like two sessions of third edition. And it was it was clown shoes. It was a bunch of 18-year-olds like who finally got away from the house and were just, you know, having fun, getting in bar fights and doing that kind of stuff. Um, and most of my games from that point were that kind of stuff. I, I played in like a two session three e-game there and then in my next uh tech school somebody had all the star wars d20 books i forget whether it was saga or the the first one but so we played like five sessions of star wars and then 
I was in another small 3E campaign, but about the time that 4E was coming about, uh, I was out of all of my trainings and at like my actual real military job. And I had several people that were kind of interested because they were like board game geeks, but they weren't going to do nothing unless I basically took up the mantle. So I took up the mantle, played and ran some 4E, and luckily 4E for all its faults was easier to get people into a and at at least at lower levels run compared to 3.5 because the whole time that i was playing 3.5 and the star wars version which was basically 3.5 in space um (laughs) so many rules definitely not going to be the the guy that spends 16 hours preparing for a three-hour game um but through 4e and then once 5e came out it just became like okay, if I want to play D&D, I have to run D&D. So find some board game people, set up a one-shot or a short, like, five, you know, session arc, and I'll run it because if I don't run it, I don't get to play. And so that's what forced me into the GM role was basically, okay, if I'm the teacher or if if I want to to see time at the table, then I got to be the guy behind the screen. But now I switch it. I con other people into letting me play really silly, crazy characters once in a while. And then I like that being the GM, I can kind of set the mood, I guess. So if I want a silly game, I'll run a silly game. If I want a serious game, I'll run a serious game. But I digress. There's there's a 10-minute <laughs> story about how I got, got into being forced to be the DM out of sheer necessity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you find yourself running fifth edition more now or do you still play some of the older editions um fifth edition is really great in the sense that i could play it right now not just because i have several things prepped but because i can remember enough of it off the top of my head that i don't need to go a whole bunch of hours into note taking and prep if we were doing board game night and a bunch of people showed up and people were like looking at my China cabinet full of RPG books and was like, what's all this D and D madness? I could be like, well, let's play. And I could sit down right then and walk everyone <laughs> through character creation or just hand them pre-gens. And we could play right now with no prep and without like people having to do homework before they come to the table. <laughs> um, with that said, I still like bouncing laterally across other current systems like fantasy flight star wars um genesis i haven't got to play it but i'm like building stuff and preparing in it uh cypher system numenera and stuff like that i like dipping into other things uh but i am actually part of it's a group that myself and matt who runs the jowsom's den channel we're talking about doing like a a group of forever dms who rotate between their favorite systems to not only give everyone a chance to play, but also to spread our experience across systems that I'm, I'm a 5e DM. And if I'm forced to run a game, it's probably going to be 5e. And if I hang out with my friends, they all know 5e and we're probably just going to keep playing 5e. Well, Matt runs a bunch of like Zvihander and stuff like that. Um, Bert, who's one of the other DMs in the group, 
loves Delta Green and stuff like that. Uh, we had Seth from the Monday nights, and he's a 3.5 DM, so we got to play in like a four-session 3.5 game. So it's been an interesting, like, okay, we've only been doing this for like three months, but we've seen four systems because we're running just short, like three to four session. Hey guys, you want to check out Delta Green? Yeah, man, I would never get Delta Green to my table because my players would be like, can't we just keep <laughs> playing our 5e game? Like, I love my dwarf. <laughs> so shameless plug for the Notorious DMG, mm-hmm. the, no- the Notorious Dungeon Masters group. Uh, good stuff there. Um, what about you guys? All 5e or Dungeon World? Or do you mix it up? Or... <clears throat> Well, for me, with a with the podcast group, we've only done fifth edition since it comes out since it came out. Uh, but outside of that, I have been a player in a bunch of other different systems. Uh, I mean, there was definitely a little bit of three point five, but also uh, Dungeon World, Blades in the Dark, Uncharted Worlds. Uh, a couple I sessions of really Lasers want and Feelings. To play... which, uh, blades in the dark and now that you bring up lasers and feelings those are those are in my like top five of my if someone else will run it please yes sign me up mm. pile blades in the dark is really great as long as you spend the time building that world up first right like that was i think our first two or three sessions was just oh we need a map we need guilds we need organizations uh we need tears you know who are we are we a gang like what type of gang tunnel snakes rule (laughs) (laughs) but but once you get through all that like it's so much fun when i get back from my deployment i think several of my initial one shots are going to be like i've never played this system and i'm going to specifically seek out like probably through reddit lfg or something like that and and try to find somebody to run tales for the loop somebody to run blades in the dark somebody to run genesis like i'm gonna just try to spread that experience out before i sink back into my okay let let me get a another weekly stream going and since i'll probably be the gm i want something i'm comfortable with and do like a weekly 5e game but then I've been thinking that maybe like a once every other week or even once a month game of a system I'm totally new to, or if not totally new to, then at least new and awkward to GMing so that I don't have that like pressure because when I was doing two streams a week, I was a player in 5e, but I was a a DM in Star Wars Edge of the Empire Fantasy Flight system and being new to the system was okay. Being new to the system and having my stream game on Thursdays, but also I got to do campaign prep and also I'm in two classes and also I'm active duty military and like, (laughs) like it just got to be too much. So I think if I had like two weeks in between games instead of like, holy crap, it's Saturday already. I need to have the game ready by Tuesday. Um, um, we, for the most part, um, have been playing uh, fifth edition and then this, you know, our one little foray into Dungeon World, which uh, given the chance, I would definitely would, would want to play that again. I really enjoyed the creative and, and narrative driven approach that that has. Um, sometimes that just 
the mechanics of D and D uh, are really good for what they are, but that you know it's a it's a combat simulator, and so it's really right. hard to much else with that without really like starting to break or bend the rules. Uh, which is fine. I mean, obviously, that's we all do that. But I like that it's built in that you don't have to break the rules to do something completely different. It's it's designed to do that. I'm... I like that it was just uh, it's it's so easy to to start. You were talking about like just how quickly you can jump into something. Right. We did our initial character creation in about ten minutes. Uh, none of us had ever played, and and. And that was why we had picked it for this because, again, we thought it was going to be very short. I wanted something that I could do quickly. We didn't have to spend a lot of time on their end, and oh, beautifully. So nice. Um, you made me think of something, and now I can't think of what it was. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm going to think on it. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left until the top of the hour. So is there any questions or topics from either of y'all that you would like to see covered? Um, I had one like kind of general question since I know you guys are both also pretty heavy into the DM GM side. Mm -hmm. uh, like for the games you run, like uh, if it's D and D or whatever, like, is there one of those, uh, one of those kind of hard-coded rules in the system that you wish you could either do away with or really just heavily change. I'm going to think on that one because I have great <laughs> examples of hard-coded hard rules in other systems that I would love to bolt <laughs> onto the system like 5e, which is actually the thing that uh, when Thomas was talking, I was thinking of. Because uh, he was talking about trying uh, other stuff just to to get a feel for it, and that was that was my thought was, um, I get that some people don't play RPGs; they play D and D, but mm -hmm. I really think that as a DM, at least, it kind of behooves you to once in a while dip into another system, even if for a one shot, just to see how something else approaches the the storytelling or the even the the tactical side of stuff so that you can right. be like oh that's a really neat thing that i can't bring that back to D, &D but i can kind of tweak the way that i think about stuff so the the more hard coded rule i guess that i would change about D, &D and it's it's not exactly hard coded so i'm i'm cheating on this one but ah, that's fine most people look at D&D &D or D20 based systems and go, here's the process. Everything is a D20 roll with modifiers and then you compare that to a DC. Even your armor class is effectively just the DC that something mm -hmm. has to roll to hit you. I, as someone who's dipped into the Star Wars Fantasy Flight system where they, there's two dice axes, pass, fail, and then advantage threat, I really like the you can succeed on something but have bad stuff happen and the you can fail but still have advantages and i like the way that it drives the narrative so the the hard-coded piece that i would change about DD is you roll one dice or one die you compare that number to another number and whichever one's higher determines yes the thing happens or no the thing doesn't okay. and so especially with my difficulty checks, uh, like skill checks and stuff, I try not to just make it, 
DC 12 perception. If you roll 12 or higher, you see the thing. If you roll 11 or lower, you don't see the thing. I try to write in, if you roll a 10, this is the information you get. If you roll a 13, here's two more pieces. If you roll an 18, here's one more thing that's going on. And then 20 plus, like not only do you get all this information, you know, check out this thing over here. So I try to make there be tiers instead of just pass yeah. fail. Oh, so that's cool. that's my my cheat answer of yeah it's not super hard coded <laughs> in there but like i feel like most people dip into that like okay perception check versus their stealth check it's it's one thing a, a d20 yeah. versus the 14 that they rolled 14 and higher you see them 13 and lower you don't end of story yeah. I, I try to make some like play in there like mm -hmm. you hear a twig snapping but you you know, you don't necessarily see the orc in black leather sneaking up on you. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something from like playing around in Powered by the Apocalypse games that I've learned to enjoy and try to interweave into our game, just like grades of success and failure. Speaking of Powered by the Apocalypse, I really want to get more time in because I've only played one one shot, uh, The Sprawl. Uh, definitely mm. want to spend more time in mm -hmm. The Sprawl. I'm one of those jerks that backed it on Kickstarter and I'm actually in the book. Like my picture is in the book <laughs> and I've only got to play it like for three hours and a random one shot on the internet. And like, it was kind of a mess and we were having tech issues. So I, I haven't even got to play the game that I am oh. legitimately the first picture in the book. Like if you open the book and flip past the cover and start going to the different chapters, my dumb ass sitting at a computer playing world of Warcraft <laughs> with markers drawn all over my pants is the first picture in the sprawl book. And I uh, I kid you not. Awesome. All right, Thomas, so, we got 10 minutes. Bring us home with a topic or question of, of your choice. Um, I was just real quick going to say the uh, I really enjoy the, the, the gradients of success. Um, I've been trying to do that more in, in 5th edition as well. The other thing that I uh, the thing I don't like about 5th edition, um, if I had to pick one, I think is the, the spell slot system. Mm. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that uh, the wizard that just gets fireball, they can cast one fireball and that's, you know, it's eight, eight D eight, right. Of damage, but then they can just go and cast firebolt for all day long and somehow, you know, rack up hundreds of, you know, D 10 worth of damage. And, but they got tired from casting one fireball or something. Mm. So like, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't quite make sense to me. And I, uh, there's better ways to do magic. Um, I've I've seen a couple of different ways, but I'm still looking for a good fix in that. I had a GM for Pathfinder, so still same system effectively, uh, mm -hmm. that used more like spell points to kind of represent mana, I guess you would call it, so that you could choose, do I want one good fireball or, mm -hmm. you know... Mm -hmm. 20 of this lower spell because everything had a, a point value and you just had mm -hmm. a pool for the day. Um, and it was better about that. Like, okay, I cast my one third level spell now. Now it's just my, you know, four level twos mm -hmm. and my six level ones and then cantrips, even oh. down to cantrips. You could still pop off cantrips for the most part, the rest of the day so that you weren't that wizard who shot, you know, a magic missile and then hid under a table <laughs> in the back to have a you know sip of water and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before you were useful again um <laughs> but 
I'm I'm still looking for a good magic fix for D&D, and I agree with that point. So if anyone has a good, like, change to the way magic systems uh, work, I will definitely spend the time reading it because I'm still on the prowl for a good a new way to at least try. So for something to, to bring us home, um, what is the most uh, like severe non-lethal consequence that as a DM or, or GM that you've leveled against a character? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Because um, there's there's two one of which is coming up in probably in either if not this week next week in our release uh, but the other one is much older um, in our group we have a bard and at one point our bard and our monk were out uh, just spending some time with another NPC uh, like trying to find a, I think they're trying to find some food out in a blizzard meanwhile one of our characters one of our player characters stayed back and hung out with the NPCs at the wagon. Um, and the one who stayed behind was our rogue, who's a little bit paranoid about things going wrong. So always sets up like traps and has lookouts and things. So in order for our bard and our monk, when they were coming back, they wanted to let our uh, rogue assassin know that they were friendlies coming back, uh, decided, you know what? I'm going to just, play a song like pull out my loot it's their dad's old loot that was handed down to them uh and just play a little something that they'll recognize uh, but since they had been out all day in the blizzard and they were tired they had marched like a few extra hours into the night it's like okay do a performance check i'm gonna give you disadvantage because of the conditions and our bard rolls two ones it's <laughs> Double crit failing on the thing. So I took this as just like a time where we're going to do a grade of failure here. Where you play a song, or at least you start to play a song, and like mid-chord, their fingers just lock up and they drop their loot, like get a crack in it. Uh, so that way like they can't play it until they get it repaired. This is old like family item like had a lot of nostalgia for them and they dropped it playing a song to their friend <laughs> tiny little insignificant choice that led to yeah like, now it's a major story thing like that that yeah. probably at least lasted a couple of sessions of like i now have a new purpose it's to fix this Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely uh, did happen, and that's how they kind of got to know their sentient loot that they have now, who's a little bit jealous of other instruments. <laughs> uh, and the other one we have coming up, I won't spoil too much, but uh, a spoiler, they try to drain magic from this very big natural raw magic source, and things don't go well. Everybody <laughs> lives, but things don't go well. <laughs> Like, are we talking, I don't know if y'all played any Warcraft, but are we talking like Sunwell level, like magic source in the ground? I, I'm not familiar with Warcraft Sunwells, but I'm going right. to go ahead and guess yes. All right. That's, that's, that's uh, my these fault things, the that's all right. There's like 
a few of these on every continent and they're just huge magical sources. So yeah, it does not go very well. Flat. I, uh, I have not broke a, uh, a characters. You, you had the, you put a crack in a characters, like very important to them. Uh, yeah. Instrument. Haven't damaged mm -hmm. something that the party owned like that, but I did have a check and I'll, I'll skip all the, the murky details, but it was back in fourth editions, intro adventure, keep on the shadow fell. Um, and I was basically just padding for time because I knew that the first session was, I only had about two hours left. So instead of letting them head towards the dungeon, I wanted to give them like an hour in town and then like an hour of one good random encounter out on the road. So I needed to pad up some stuff in town. So they just needed to find the mayor. And instead of just hand waving and they're in the mayor's room, I, you know, I, they had no idea what the mayor looked like. They had to ask around town and stuff like that. And they were talking to a guard and the guard's like, yeah, the, you know, the mayor's normally over on this part of town. And they went off to find him. And I forget what it was that caused the roll, but the rogue was trying to do something stupid. So I made him make a check and <laughs> uh, he rolled a one and then I didn't want to just like, I don't like screwing people over on just a solid one because that's a 5% chance. So I was like, okay, roll another D100. And he rolled a one on a D100. And oh. so <laughs> I made him trip. It was just something s stupid. Like he had turned around backwards to like finger guns at the paladin. Something <laughs> stupid like that, right? Um, and so it was a nothing check. But when he rolled a one on the, the D20 and a one on a D100, I made him trip over rock and he stumbled and bumped into the mayor. And the mayor was like walking and smoking like his grandfather's pipe or whatever. And so I rolled a, a equivalent of a, a deck save basically for the mayor and he rolled a two. So I Aww. let him, I let him <laughs> drop the pipe and it cracked the pipe. And so like, again, it didn't directly impact the, the players and their gear, but it was like, okay, well you guys are starting off on the wrong foot in this town. Oh yeah. And so it, it ended up being a much more major part of the story just because literally finger guns. Like if he had not done finger guns, they would have not had this whole side arc of having to make amends with the guy who ran the town. <laughs> Very nice. But mine I feel a little bit worse about then. Uh I didn't I wanna start off by saying I didn't actually break the character. Uh the player knew I wasn't gonna break their character, but I did take away a wizard's ability to use magic uh, for a little that's, while. That's pretty um, big. The... <laughs> Did you break his hands or like physically could not cast or like he... actually did not have that connection to the arcana anymore? Yeah, he, he lost his connection to, to the arcane sources. Uh, the short, the short version of is the story is he, part of his backstory is he's trying to revive somebody he lost. Um, and so during an illusion in the Feywild, save them. And I said, well, yeah, you can do it if you give up your magic. And he agreed to it. Mm, okay. Then, like, you know, half a year later, he is in the realm of the dead. And one of the stewards of death is like, oh, I see there's an arrangement made. Yes, you can take them. To the prime materials, like, by the way, you no longer can sense your magic. You remember the deal you made in the Feywild. And um, and that was kind of the end of the session. So afterward, I was like, 
as I have on how your character might get their magic back, uh, or we can talk about a different way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he went about two sessions where could do some lower level magic, uh, but had like crazy wild magic effects all the time. And then he picked one of the one of the options and now actually I guess transformed into an Eldrin and accesses like Elder Starlight for his magic. So but mm. it, there was that point where I took a wizard's magic away. So that's that's pretty cool. I can honestly <laughs> say I've never taken a wizard's magic away. Uh, but <laughs> Over the course of my tenure, I have had one paladin fall, and I have had one god who basically got fed up with a cleric. And it, it wasn't like, it wasn't game ending and character breaking levels of like, okay, well, you were a dick. You lose all your paladin powers like, you know, the, the mm. meme is. But I mm. did give them just enough of a, a, like, push to be like, hey, man, like, think about this relationship you have here and you're you're being just a taker and you know bahamut hasn't been getting nothing out of this deal except everyone in town knowing that there's that one guy walking around with a, a flavor flav bahamut medallion who's kind <laughs> of a jackass so like it's it's the same thing as me in the military when i'm walking around in uniform i gotta think about the perception that i make for people out there of the military mm -hmm. well like if you're rocking around, if you're walking around rocking, you know, the garb, you need to please that God. So you may not do something that that God is specifically against, but if everyone in town now thinks that everyone in the Church of Bahamut can just wing it and do what they want, like he might put you in the spiritual timeout for a little bit. <laughs> so did you give them the chance then to kind of make amends or like uh, regain their their status? Yeah, so I want to say it happened about halfway through a session, and so they kind of just basically uh, ended that session. They had like maybe two hours of like, oh, I'm in the timeout booth, um, and then the next session started with uh, probably about an hour of, okay, side arc mini adventure to get this game, to get this session rolling. We're going to start with, you know, how the emperor got his groove back. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, but gentlemen, that is one hour uh, on the dot right now. So is there anything else, any closing remarks before we go ahead and call it a night? I would uh, just say, you know, thank you again for, for putting this together and, and letting me join in. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to hope to find some time to... to crash in on one of those uh one shots you were talking about yeah i i do them all the time however of course with uh my upcoming vacation to an undisclosed location in <laughs> southwest asia uh i got about maybe like yeah. three weeks left of doing them and i'm going to be busy for those three weeks uh sure. but once i get back and life is kind of settled um the the missus is currently expecting and so as i get back i'll be like dealing with that whole like hooray baby now mm -hmm. but once once <laughs> life is sorted i want to get back into my my groove of doing things and like i said i'll probably be starting it off by jumping into some one shots and kind of finding my pace again instead of like i haven't played D, &D in a year full campaign here we do it uh so i'll probably be looking to start them up again and i will start with 
my random Twitter friends and followers instead of like, what can I find on Reddit for a bunch of people I've never met before? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, it would be certainly a lot of fun to do a one shot once uh, once schedules are aligned. Um, other than that, yeah, thanks for having me on. Let me talk a little bit about the show and my thoughts on being a DM and everything. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast. Uh, keep an eye out there before the end of the month when we will have a pretty big announcement, hopefully. Ooh. I do have both your uh, Twitter names on the little overlay I built here. Uh, I know y'all both have your sites. Uh, there wasn't a clever way to fit them both on because y'all use different sites. Um, but I will include them in the description, both on the Twitch VOD, and this will go on uh, YouTube in about 48 hours. And so I will make sure that there's not anything aside from just your your Twitter handles and your site links that are listed on your Twitter profiles. Uh, if there's anything else y'all want me to include, uh, drop them in the channel we're using on Discord. And other than that, both of you guys have a great night. All right. Thank thanks you. so much you for too, having sir. us. Have a great one, guys. And thanks for uh, listening and all the follows, everybody. We're out of here.